That is a meme worthy. That is a internet reaction waiting to happen. What's that? That 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 jump scare. Yeah. That is that's like one of the cr- like most insane jump scares I, I think I've ever seen. It, <laughs> Did you it, jump I out fe- of your seat? I, I felt it in my toes. <laughs> I like I, my whole body went rigid. Like it got me big time. It's great. Yeah. Um, and it's like if you're gonna do a jump scare, I guess you fucking do it like yeah. that. I guess to call back to the jump scare thing from last episode, I'll give. I literally I, wrote Jesus Christ in all caps <laughs> in my notes when it happened. <laughs> I'll give Flanagan the benefit of the doubt too. Is that we said, you know, there weren't there were a ton of jump scares in the first half. They're not quite as many in the no, second half. I think he slows down. He lets yeah. it build to this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome guests to episode 188 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week we discuss the last five episodes of Mike Flanagan's 2018 series, The Haunting of Hill House. Okay, so last week we established that this series is a lot different when compared to Shirley Jackson's original work. I am curious, like, of course, we've talked general thoughts in our last episode. Uh, Hopefully you're listening to that episode before this episode because... uh, you know, we're jumping in halfway, but uh, I want to know, were you able to shift gears enough to sort of have have this story separate from Shirley Jackson's work and enjoy it? Or were you just like constantly feeling like you had to compare it to Shirley Jackson's work? Hmm. Well, before I answer that, I think I'm going to have you hand me that plate of steaming crow over <laughs> there and I'm going to I'm going to take a few bites of it. Okay. Um, I'm not going to eat the whole plate. I'm not going to eat all the crow. But I am eating some today because there was a lot of greatness in the second half of this season. And I regretted a little bit of some of the stuff I said. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm not going to eat the whole plate, though, because yeah. I do think some of my criticisms held true. Um, mm-hmm. I do th- still think there were some things that I didn't love. But for the most part, I was kind of blown away by the second half of the season uh, and especially a few different standout moments, which we'll talk about. And yeah, you know, I mean, of course, I'm comparing the whole time. I'm thinking of Shirley Jackson. And uh, I, I do think a lot of my criticisms last week came from that, came from that comparison to the book, having just read it right before. Um, but I do think Mike Flanagan is doing something really interesting here. He's He's sort of putting his own spin on it. And how much people like it is going to weigh heavily on whether or not they can vibe with this this spin he puts on it. Um, and it is it is a pretty different story, especially at the end. Um, but I don't want to. I, don't, I actually don't want to talk about the ending yet. I want to save that for the end of this episode because I think it'll. I think we should approach it chronologically as the sto- as the story progressed and played out because I think that's the most interesting way to talk about it. Sure, yeah. I, I just want to ask you, like, from your perspective, do you think that Shirley Jackson herself 
would enjoy an adaptation like this. You know, of course, we're specul- pure speculation, but like, yeah. does this feel like something that was like lovingly done? Does it feel like it was taking a lot of liberties? What do you think if if you were to guess? Uh, you know, I'm really not comfortable saying because I don't know. Like, I'm pretty new to Shirley Jackson's work. Um, I don't feel like I have a good sense of who she was as a person. Um, so I, I can't really say. I, I will say that I think Mike Flanagan did this in a way that does feel like he's trying to honor her work and her vision. Um, and I can definitely foresee a situation where she would like that. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not willing to put that, put that on her yet. Cause I, I don't, I can't really say good on you. Cause like I was, I was kind of setting you up here because uh, yeah. for what it's worth, horror author, Stephen King, who holds considerable admiration for Jackson's novel tweeted about the series. I don't usually care for this kind of revisionism, but this is great. Close to a work of genius, really. I think Shirley Jackson would approve, but who knows for sure. So I was kind of going to see if you agreed, but I mean, good on you for not taking the bait. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure he knows Shirley Jackson's, you know, uh, more about her at least. I don't know if if he knew her or anything, but um, he definitely knows more about her than I do. Um, So, you know, I'll go with what Stephen King says. That's probably (laughs) probably fair assessment. Yeah. So did you feel like there was a a switching of gears? Did you think that like the first five episodes fit a certain type of horror and did this change or was this more of the same from the first half of the season? I do think there was uh, early on, I think Flanagan felt a urge to provide some early scares to like let people know what they're in for to get them into the series and feel like okay i'm right i'm watching a, a series that's gonna have these kind of scares um and then he shifted gears into longer form like de- slower developing scares that he really started to deliver on over the next few episodes and those were some of the best and um the creepiness um there's there's like a bending of time um, that's going on. We talked about it in episode five uh, a little bit, and that's like our first kind of introduction to that. The idea of the bent neck lady being being uh, uh, actually Nell traveling through time. Um, yeah, we are going to be spoiling obviously the rest of the ser- series. So if you wanted our spoiler free th- thoughts, definitely listen to the last episode. But um, th- it, I loved it whenever they did that and that was a continuing thing throughout was like we're going to have shown you different scenes and then we're going to come in and show you how this moment in the future was actually interacting to this moment in the past and you know what i kept thinking of in this when i was seeing all of this like what story this reminded me heavily of Uh, not off the top of my head what stephen king's it okay yeah because of the two timelines mm-hmm. returning as adults and um there was so I more of the book a is what you're saying though not not really the movies the book yeah. um there was a little bit of that like interplay between past and present past and whatever yeah past and present yes. there you go yeah. um there was a little bit of that in that book and just the idea of like revisiting and and having it bleed over into each other and it and it playing out simultaneously um in a way that that was one of the things that you don't get a lot of in the adaptation, at least of it. But um, that was one of the things I like most about that book. And we, we talked about, um, so I, I don't know. I was having like a flashback to our first project in kind of a fun way. Um, and and I, I could see that is almost being an inspiration. I don't know if that's true, but I know Flanagan is a, is a fan of Stephen King's work. So it's definitely possible. He was kicking that around in his head. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
I have so many thoughts about each of these episodes, um, which I really want to get into. But before we do that, like I do want to ask you, because this is your second time through. What was this experience like watching it a second time? Did you catch different stuff? Yeah, I didn't, of course, remember every specific detail to the, mm-hmm. down to the very like minute ones. But, yeah. you know, knowing the overall story and knowing the way that the, the timeline blends back together with uh, with how it ends, like I don't want to jump too much into it, but basically like you can see it throughout and getting to see certain scenes. It didn't uh, in some ways it makes it less scary because, you know, like yeah. the, the reason that this specter is appearing right now before this person is because like something, you know, it's either the mother actually there or the sister potentially like there's there's a lot of that but at the same time it kind of creates like a more fun environment to be like oh look how scared this character is even though they because they don't know what's going on right now and i you know getting to see it through hindsight yeah. in a way is is really is a really fun way to experience the series i would definitely say wait a little while like i you know it's been at least a year or two for me since i've seen it but mm-hmm. which i think was a good period of time but ultimately i i got a little more out of it and and it got it, it left me with more time to look around for more easter eggs i felt like i was really did trying to you, did dig you in. find some yeah definitely saw some here and there yeah i think um, i did too because i was on the lookout after we talked about it and yeah. I, i'm i'm sure i saw at least a few um i wrote a few down that i saw um I, so I, I do think that there is and tell me if this is how you felt like there is something interesting about coming back to a story where when you've kind of stripped away all of the surprise um and it's like it's like knowing how a magic trick is done and then watching someone perform the magic trick and getting to um, appreciate it for the fact yeah. that they can pull it off exactly so you're able to maybe think more about craft and think about like well this is what they're trying to do here i already know the reveal so now i can just analyze how they're doing it like from from behind the scenes kind of point of view so i was wondering if you were maybe like tying even more into the the filmmaking that was going on and thinking yeah. about that kind of well, stuff. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to this episode 6 here in a second and I was just blown away. I re- I realized how how difficult episode 6 was in general when when I, the first time I watched it, but this time I was really like just fascinated by it and and watching every single cut uh even when they were hidden. Uh so, you know, we'll get into that episode in a second, but yes, definitely I felt like I could see I got to be on that same plane and think like what I, you know, as a creative like what is what is Flanagan doing here? Is this something that I would have done necessarily, or uh, what could have been done differently? So, I you know a, a fun experience and and uh, exercise, and I think like a lot of times that's why it's fun to revisit stuff like this that has like a lot to sink your teeth into. Yeah. All right, man. We got to get into episode six. You you like you like you like creaked the lid open a little bit, and I did. I'm so excited. All the monsters to talk are about coming out. One. I creaked yeah. it, I creaked it open. They're they're flooding <laughs> out. So, all right. Episode six is called Two Storms. The episode alternates between two storms, one the family experienced in the past at Hill House, the other in the present, the night before Nell's funeral, with the Crane family meeting at the funeral parlor to view her body, finally together in the same room after years. At Hill House, Nell goes missing. Olivia sees spirits and enters a fugue state, acting strangely. Nell reappears, shaken, and states that she had been right in front of her family the whole time, yelling, but they couldn't see or hear her. In the present, as the cranes argue, odd things happen. Steve sees the ghost of his mother, the power goes out, and someone places buttons on Nell's eyes. The family demands answers from Hugh about what really happened, leading to confrontations. Shirley catches Theo and Kevin together in a storage room. Nell's coffin falls over by itself, startling the cranes into shock. Nell's spirit as the bent neck lady is present in the room the whole time, though no one sees her. Yeah, so that 
uh, that summary is of what happens in the plot, but it does nothing to talk about this episode really, because yeah. um, this episode is incredible. Um, I think this is an achievement that is that is something I wasn't expecting in this show. By my estimation, it at least has the appearance of being, I think, three significant oneers in a row. Um, I meant was to, I, meant to almost basically look like it's one. There's a couple of cuts from back from past to present. Is that what right. you're counting? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like yeah, it's once in, one long oneer to open the episode, one long oneer in the past, and right. then one long oneer back in the in the present. There are definitely like splice cuts, and I, th- I believe. Yeah, I think there know. is, and and like ultimately, I don't care. Like we talked about, we talked about this in um, uh, Children of Men, right? Like those those incredible shots where like oh, there's a couple of hidden cu-. like I don't care. Like it doesn't it, matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like right. it, it, I couldn't f- spot them. Like I, I had a couple of points where I was like, ooh, maybe they snuck something there. There was a flash of lightning. Maybe they were able to do it during a flash. Like yeah, but, like I I ultimately don't care. Like there's a pan where it, it like in in the pans were typically typically pretty slow, but I'm like they still could maybe splice something in there. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It, 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 no, the effect is yeah. is awesome, and yeah, and the amount of planning that it takes is still just as as um, impressive. You know, like yeah. it's it's the planning and then the execution of actually getting it done and it working is and it's all you know. We we've talked about sets and how hectic they can get and how many moving parts there are for something like this. The camera yeah. work that has to happen, people running around the room, actors switching yeah. like with their childhood actors and stuff, and it's it's madness. And I was. I was kind of losing it, man. Like, so this is one of those things where it's like, I know that I've changed as a viewer because I started out the episode just kind of like enjoying watching. I'm, I'm caught into the story. Um, they're, they're standing over Nell. They, they're, they're going back and forth. And then all of a sudden, it like looks into the back and the two guys arrive, Luke and Steve. And then we sit down with them for a minute. And then Luke is going to approach the cast. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't think this is cut yet. Like it just mm-hmm. like dawns on me. It's a feeling too, right? It's not even like it's like it's a realization, but at the same time, it's like it's like a feeling that it puts in you where it's like, yeah. oh, this feels like something's different. Something's you know? weird, right? And I was thinking that it feels unblinking, and it mm-hmm. feels it, it. It's maybe the most transportative. That's one of the things I love about these wonders is. I feel like I'm in that room because, you know, in real life, other than when you blink your eyes, like you blink your eyes and you don't really move much. But like, so for the most part, you feel this like continuous perspective. And that's what you get in a oneer. You're like continuously, you are the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense, I was at this, you know, wake. I, I, it's not really a wake. It was like the night before the wake, but this this mini wake they were having with their family. And it felt unblinking and personal and close and um, I also started geeking out about the idea of it and imagining what it was like to shoot it. And I started over the episode. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> so at about at about the I think at about the 10 minute mark, when I thought I realized what was happening, I went all the way back to the beginning um, because I wanted to watch from the beginning thinking, OK, is this all one shot? And I would love to know what you might have found out in the in like the behind the scenes stuff about this episode, because I was like. I started I like I like started looking at the time and I was like I think this first I wrote it down I said I think this first oneer is 14 minutes long I I I there may probably hit some cuts in there I don't know mm-hmm. um but I didn't see them doesn't mean they right. weren't there but they were at least very yeah. well hidden I don't have specifics on like the amount of time per takes and stuff like that but and and another thing that that's like really deceiving is sometimes when people cross should we frame, should we describe what a oneer is just in case anyone doesn't know. E- 
Sure. I mean, it's a it's a, sh- a con- one continuous shot. So right. like the camera rolls without cuts and that's a it's a for however long and everything that happens within that shot is a wonder. Yeah. Um, so so as opposed to regular the regular way you film where you're doing a bunch of like smaller moments that are spliced together. Right. You have to rely on everything that happens in that yeah. take is what you're going to use. You have to think about every department. Yeah. Set design has to be on point. And if one person screws up one little thing. Yep. You got to reset the entire thing and start over. Yeah, and in that and in that way, it's also it's also like theater for the it's a theatrical performance for the yeah. actors because they are they've remembered all of those lines, the exact movements where people need to move, rooms yeah, the, need to move. The like, amount of the amount of blocking of like exactly. where to move and where the camera. You have to also to be very aware where the camera is going to be. Like at one point, um, the camera backs up between Steve and Luke, and they're like leaning down together. And I was thinking that they probably lean down real quick after the camera has passed so that it looks like it didn't even have enough room to pass through, but it probably did, you know, like there's so many clever things like that where you, and that's the, the level of difficulty is so high because if you catch that movement, then you're done. You have to start over. Exactly. I, I'm yeah. just blown away. So I, 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 I'm sure that they hid more cuts than we're aware of. And like I was, what I was going to say is uh, one, one thing that they can do really well is if someone passes a cross frame and it, it doesn't even have to completely cover the lens. It can be the same, uh, like sort of shot design completely like just like in the same area if someone crosses frame it's an easy way to sort of like splice those two things together and it tends to it tends to work really well yeah um, so even if it was like instead of 14 minutes it was like three minutes you know, four three, minutes five three minutes. or four yeah. or five you know five three three minute scenes it's still incredible and like still you're saying it's not like it's a lockdown tripod shot it's not it's not on the sticks just sitting there for three or four minutes the no, camera no, is constantly around. in motion so you have yeah. to think about the the people in the camera department which i'm very familiar with who are having to assist the camera operator and like you know brace him can't let him fall over help guide where where the next landing spot is and it's amazing stuff, and uh, it's like you know, true filmmaking. It, it and yeah. like, like we've talked about the the planning that goes into it, and then not to mention the spooky things that they're threading into this yeah. scene. So it's not a normal, it's not a dramatic normal drama oneer. This mm-hmm. is like they have special effects going on in the background. There are like mo- things need to move around, things need to change. Yeah. Um, it's very you know. Like they said, swap out the difficulty. whole cast for their child child cast, and then yep. the, the camera's just, the camera's just kind of going in a circle, and then it comes back around, and it's all the adults again, and they have about I think I kind of like fourteen seconds or so to have made that swap and and be in position. I'm like, and nobody was huffing and puffing from running. <laughs> like, it's it's a it's a magic trick, and it's it, it's pretty incredible. And then and then they I, the the idea that they're going to then stack that with two more. Like that's an episode that if I I could just go back and watch that one again and just try and imagine what it would have been like because then the one in the house is also incredible. There's so many cool things going on in that in that scene. Yeah, this was they went into he specifically Mike Flanagan went into this episode and was like, I want to, you know, I want to do it all the way. I want to yeah. do everything. This entire, I mean, this episode, like you said, it's an achievement. Um, this is a showcase episode too, right? Yeah. Like this is probably the one you send to the Emmys <laughs> and you go have a look at this one. <laughs> this, you hang your hat on this episode for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, I mean, like you said, and it kind of makes up for some some stuff maybe in the beginning that was a little more cheesy and like easy for, for in in terms of in the grand scheme yeah. of things for filmmaking. Uh, having something like this, you're like, oh, okay, well, like we're building to these things, we're building to some of these yeah. bigger moments. Um, I, I and when this episode happened, I immediately had some regrets about last week. It's <laughs> <I was laughs> like I don't, I maybe went a little too hard, and like it's funny because I have listened back to that episode and. 
Um, I wasn't like really harsh on it, but I definitely think you could listen. You're going li- to people are going to listen to that episode and think I didn't like it. Well, and um, you've, you've and, said you yeah. stated your case was because you were comparing it to Shirley Jackson's original work. So ultimately, yeah. like that's that was your point. That was what yeah. you're you're the hill you were in, willing in, to in die my, on in right my there. in my defense, I guess. But like I, I still do have some criticisms that come up later on and stuff. So I, I don't think this, this show's perfect or anything. And um, we'll, we'll talk about it. But uh, I, I don't know. I just. I came in pretty pretty hard last week, and um, yeah, I don't know. I was impressed. Mm-hmm. This is, this is an impressive episode. Um, what do you make of like all the relationships, everything coming to a point, everything really built to this? Obviously, all the characters together, um, and then their father uh, comes back officially. Yeah, and how it's they interact a, with him. It's the first like reunion of the family, so it's a big it's a big dramatic moment. You know, you have dead Eleanor. Um, and then I just keep thinking of like that moment where, uh, Steve looks over and he sees her standing there and then he looks away and then he looks back and she's gotten closer and yeah, I don't know that, you know, which is all done in the same, in the same single take. So it's very cool. Um, and then, oh, how about the buttons on the eyes? Is that a Coraline reference? <laughs> I was Maybe. thinking of Coraline, man. Yeah. So, so you, you just reminded me of one thing that I have to talk about and that's when Hugh, um, is walking through the like funeral parlor and and then turns a corner and then it becomes the uh the old hill house and he's walking around hill house and it's a continuous shot it's It's a continuous shot and the way that they either again hit a cut somewhere in there or set design had recreated like a portion of the either the parlor or the uh i mean they probably had both sets you know and they just had had them connect (laughs) i don't know that unless there was a look unless they were actually on location you know it could it's always it seems like the house is probably a set uh, that big ass house interior that's got to be a set but it's, it's a convincing one yeah so that was just an uh, overall like what a what an amazing like practical effect to yeah. go from from basically the present into the past and be like that storm that storm the storm honestly in both and it, it, it really the storm is such a brilliant idea it ties the two moments together in this weird time travel-y thing Right, like the, the it's like the storm is occurring in both moments. Well, and, the, and both storms feel supernatural as well. Yeah, right. Like the the one of them is like banging on the door and stuff. It's not necessarily the the storm doing that, but the and then the other one is like no one else was getting rain in the area, and it's just yeah. Hill House getting pounded by the storm. I spotted a few ghosts in this one. There's a it, this is a big one because I think like uh, every now and then when the lightning would flash, there was like a there was one time there was a person sitting in a chair. And the lightning flash in the background, and then it, that, and then like later the person's gone. Um, I was just starting to notice that. I do think one at one time one of the statues had turned its head, but I'm not 100 oh, sure. No, 100. percent I saw that okay. as well. Yeah. yeah, it was it was turned to the first. It was pointing forward, then it was turned to the right, and then it was pointing back forward. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, because and I was thinking like those statues got to move sometimes because they're so creepy and like there's so many of them and they're so gigantic that i'm like you could probably just sell the statues and make a lot of money <laughs> like those are really <laughs> elaborate like marble statues um but anyway uh yeah very cool stuff this episode is my favorite of the entire series um and there are a bunch of other good ones here at the end but um now one th- i do want to ask you about this because oh also real quick there was a tricycle in a door when he's in the house mm-hmm. I was like, that's a shining reference right gotta be right gotta be it because there's kind of like a like we're lost in a maze feel as we're walking around through the halls and we know Flanagan's such a big king fan anyway Mm -hmm. i think that's i think that's what that was yeah um but i wanted to ask you one thing that is a potential problem of these oneers is if you once you notice them 
I was having a little bit of trouble at times getting into this, like watching what was actually happening and not just geeking out about the technique. Like it's the tough, technique, yeah. it almost draws attention to itself it once does. you know it's happening. I think it's one of those things as you, obviously it's, it, it's better on a second, on a second viewing, you know, you get more, you get more time to pay attention to it. But at the same time, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's one of those things that's like in a, in a filmmaker's toolbox that like they'll use. And as you get more accustomed to seeing them, maybe it'll be less like shocking and less of something that'll distract you. But I also think that like before you know what you're looking for, sometimes you can't even put your finger on what made something so incredible. You're like, because right. like the first time I saw Children of Men, I didn't realize that those those scenes were oneers. Right. Like not like not like uh consciously subconsciously i get the, the effect so works on me but I, it wasn't until later that i was like oh that didn't cut you know what i mean and, yeah and I, so i could see that like if you're not someone who's thinking about this sort of stuff yeah. you might not even notice why it feels different except for it feels weird and different because it yeah because it is um i can see it being distracting but i don't see it being like a filmmaker deciding not to do it based on that you know what i mean because i think yeah. it's always going to be like sort of immersive and and different and it's it's like there's a reason why like birdman exists as a as a movie like the, the yeah. entire movie is like a pseudo oneer and like that like it's a it's a technique that is like for one really hard to pull off but also like creates a really fun effect that's really memorable and um yeah. immersive like i said yeah, it's really good, and and like I would love to watch like if there's any behind the scenes stuff about them shooting that. I just think it's so cool. Yeah. Like every time I've seen behind the scenes stuff of people shooting like really long extended shots, mm-hmm. the the there's like a there's like a ballet of movement going on beyond the camera. Oh yeah, so if you have like a camera. Of what's there was going that on famous set, one that all these people moving a couple and, like, years ago. Stuff in and, a couple years ago, there was that Jim Carrey Showtime show where he was like it was like tra- it was like vignettes of his life. Uh, his character's life and it was like them sitting on the couch and then like they would turn the camera 90 degrees in like a whip pan and it would be like them in a different setting outside somewhere laying down in bed like and they just kept turning around the entire room and set design and camera team was working together to like recreate each moment as they were just like doing a slow moving turn and um yeah have you ever been part of like um not uh, these not shot this big that, not that big but yeah. like a shot that that has some sort of big change that has to happen without a cut yeah absolutely you're like running around stuff like yeah. that yeah yeah it's definitely i mean it's it's like it's all like you said it's kind of ballet it's like coordinated dance or you know synchronized mm-hmm. swimming or something like that it's like everyone it's planned so meticulously that everyone knows what they have to do um and then of course it's always going to be hard to pull off because there's so many variables but it's, yeah, it's and a lot the of fun. actors like it's i can't imagine how hard it has to be for them right because they're they're part of that ballet of movement yet they also have to have that performance queued up and ready to go as soon as it gets back on them and for this one it was incredibly emotional right like this this family like doing battle with each other in some ways and reconnecting and crying and and you know being scared like there was a big moment for steve where he's at the coffin and and luke yeah luke's given all this emotion and, and just all of them honestly and and i'm like well, man this is so hard theater it's the, literally theater yeah. at that point you know like they're on stage they're they're on stage and the, the camera's perf- recording the performance um the other thing is that some of the characters over the course of this scene are getting more intoxicated yeah. and that was another thing that like the subtlety of that and like playing yeah. drunk or later in the scene yeah. over the course of a couple minutes I, I will say theo drank so much that i don't think she would have been standing by the end of the the, the episode but 
I was like, she she was looking drunk and she falls over at one point, but I'm like, you would be unconscious. Yeah. As someone who is twice the size of her and, you know, has had my days of where I've had quite a bit to drink. Yeah. Um, she was she was, yeah, really pounding that that uh, that alcohol. And then she wants like another bottle of vodka at the end. And I'm like, OK, we're getting a little silly here. <laughs> but yeah. I know that I know that it's played up for TV. Yeah. So, I mean, fantastic episode. Is there anything specific that happens within the episode you want to touch on? I mean, on honestly, it's on? very cool, right? Like this, yeah. this storm is very important. Um, it, it, it really is like a, a turning point, I think, for the family. I, I, I do like how we establish one of what is going to become a, a couple of touchstone points in time. Um, we see the breaking of the windows. Um, and that becomes a touchstone wherever we revisit them, like cleaning up the glass, we know, okay, this is after the storm, right? And I think even sometimes it says it in text at the bottom, after the storm, before the storm, stuff like that. So it is an important moment. I think it's a, a moment for everybody to realize the danger of the house um, and then uh, you, the, the deterioration of Olivia's mind. Um, this is a big part because she she gets separated from the father and she, you know, is like walking, wandering the halls and, and being, you know, removed and, and losing time clearly. Um, and, and I love that later on we, we get some of those gaps in time and we understand it more. It's just very well crafted. And, and I love the uh, intricacy of those moments and how flanagan wove them all together and I, I you know a lot of the stuff that happens early on we co- we come back to in a way and we show like okay you know this wasn't just banging at the door for no reason it was actually these characters and these characters are on the other side and they're banging on the same door they don't realize it um because one of the you know one of them is in the red room which we'll get to um it's it's just very cool um yeah. and uh, you know i am impressed i am impressed. <laughs> this this episode has like some emotional peaks that are so I mean, like, really, it's like everyone's brought to the absolute peak of their of their emotional threshold in this episode. And like, I love that, like Nell's coffin falling over, um, like just brings them all back to be realizing they're a family and coming back together in that way. Because they're tearing they're tearing each other apart here. Right. Right. Like everybody's fighting. Um, There's a moment where Theo and and uh, Shirley's husband, I can't remember his name, uh, looks like they're they're kissing. She catches them kissing in in the in the hall. Right. It's like a storage room or whatever. And they found out about the, the reveals about the taking of the money. Yep. Which is a big like thing. And, you know, Shirley's so, so angry at everybody. And um, yeah, a lot of high drama, excellent performances and just just fantastic filmmaking. And honestly, like I could go through and analyze each of these winners. I would I would like to do it. But uh, we have we have four more episodes to talk about. So yep. I, I think we got to move into episode seven. Yeah. Episode seven is called Eulogy. It is revealed that Hugh often talks to Olivia like she is still there. He is able to make amends with Theo, who says she should have reached out to him. During the funeral, he tries to reconnect with the rest of his children. In the past, Hugh assesses the house for storm damage. Mr. Dudley assists, revealing some history of the house's previous occupants. Mr. Dudley suggests that the erratic Olivia needs to spend time away from the house, revealing why he and Mrs. Dudley never come to the house at night. Hugh and Olivia agree she needs to spend some time away when her behavior becomes more disturbing. Hugh inadvertently uncovers the body of William Hill, the original owner who had bricked himself up inside the house's walls. Olivia's ghost attacks Luke, then Hugh and Theo. Luke goes missing after the funeral, stealing Shirley's wallet and Theo's car. I mean, another good episode. Uh, I I really liked this mold stuff, Um, as you know, uh, but our listeners may not. I uh, 
this oh god what was it 2019 i had a, a water disaster in my condo and we had to move out and tear out everything and i was out of my house for a long time and, and it kept kept you know, being extended like longer than you thought and it just seemed like it was never going to end at dude, one period water damage is the absolute worst and i was like i was, I was triggered by this episode yeah man. the the freaking mold the you know which like we didn't have a lot but it starts to set in fast and um just the tearing everything out and and um the idea of the water damage is just oh my god um, anybody who's ever had to deal with it knows well how yeah. how, how bad that and is. And you can't help but feel like it's just not fair for the family when you're watching it because it is like the supernatural mold that cannot yeah. be defeated and it's happening so quickly and it's building up. And, yeah. uh, and, so you, and, and I love just, the like, scratching stuck. detail too, though. Like, yeah. the, oh, I'm hearing the rats, hearing the rats. And I didn't know where they were going with it, but the reveal that it is uh, actually the original hill and he had bricked himself up somehow right. in there and he tried to scratch his way out and that's what they're hearing. That reminded me of like a, a like a scary stories to tell in the dark kind yeah. of tale or something, you know, like a, a very old school, you know, and the scratching was actually the man who was trying to get out. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's a, but cool. Like, I like that, you know, and then eventually we, we realized that he's the bowler hat man. Yep. And, he's, man, yeah. and, and there's an explanation for why his limbs are so long. I think it, can't remember the specifics, but they, they say something about like him being trapped in there. He felt so small. And then eventually he was so large later. I don't know. Something like that. In oh, death. I, I, I don't remember that. Yeah. Like maybe he must. Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Because he's super tall later on, especially. Um, I, I will say some of the ghosts lost a little bit of their spookiness the more I knew about them. The yeah. less mysterious they were. Yeah. The little um, little boy, maybe. Or the grandma. The, uh, uh, yeah, the, the sort of flapper woman. Yeah. Um, who, yeah. who you know, I, I don't know. She was just okay. She had her accent. I didn't quite buy. I remember trying to understand and remember if that's how people actually spoke at the time, too. I remember th- a couple times I was like, eh, was that that sounds like more modern or something. Yeah, I don't think it was. It wasn't very convincing. You know, I don't want to slam her because I'm sure it was it was a difficult ask. But um you know, I mean, it, it, creepy enough. She was almost like the the voice, the mouthpiece of the house at certain times. Yeah, that gets into some of my criticisms I, I had later on too. Um, mm-hmm. But but for, at this point, I'm still very very happy. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still I'm still loving everything and like. So the Dudleys, you want to talk about their situation? Yeah, they have a weird situation, right? Like they that we hear the story of this kid who died, this baby who died, stillborn, and then how they can hear hear the baby crying. At night. Um, at night and so that's why they don't come to the house anymore at night so so we're getting a lot more background sort of filling in the blanks of the book because we the book the dudleys are kind of mysterious we don't really know why they are the way they are mm-hmm. i was like okay that's interesting and like it, you know we don't hear anything about the other daughter that they have here so i was left still like wondering what's going on um, for a while <laughs> with, with this other character um, but that's okay you know it's, it was a clever clever reveal I do like um, the the cutting of the hand uh, is another moment that becomes a touchstone and whenever we see the mangled hand with yeah then like we know okay this is after that moment so we get a few of these like touchstones in time for the viewer that really help us situate ourselves when we get all these ex- these extended flashbacks um and man what a gnarly fucking cut that was <laughs> oh yeah sorry like it doesn't it look just... like the kind of thing you just wrap a bandage around and you're fine no way <laughs> that yeah. needs some stitches man. <laughs> it was mangled 
yeah, but it's fine, you know, it's a show. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a good episode. Um, I like there was actually uh, I noticed that the camera didn't cut from uh, Mr. Dudley for a really long time when he was given his monologue. Yeah, it was like a continuous cut of him just telling the story and emoting and like big moment. I was yeah. I was like, well done. Well done. Good. You know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was a big, big moment for that character to really deliver. And it does. I mean, it's like their their story going up until the end is like just brutal and like i don't know and then yet also just melancholy a little and like it's it's a very interesting like it kind of situates and we'll get into this with the house but how the house isn't maybe inherently evil but it's also like it's just like eternal like it's like a powerful yeah in in this version yeah yeah and uh the mold man in the wall uh that he sees that was that was a, a cool creepy moment taking the taking the polaroid and seeing this face um, it looked kind of like Bowler Hat Guy. I'm not sure if it was supposed to be him or not. Maybe I, I can't. Maybe there's a little bit of a hat in the, in the picture he took. Um, and then later it's gone. So I'm like, was he freed from his prison down there, and that's why it's gone, or, or what? I don't know. In the present, we have uh, Luke has disappeared, and they are trying to figure out where he went. I think we have this is the episode with the Halloween. It's like Halloween night, and there's knocking on the on the door, and and then Theo and. And uh, uh, Shirley experienced the knocking together, and also Theo and and the father experienced the like the the apparition. So we're having the like supernatural is bleeding over into the to the real world. Yeah, I think that's a little bit into next episode, but in this episode, it's where like the how the the dream house gets destroyed, and it's like on the ground, and they yeah, see so it's like, right at the end of the Theo, episode. Yeah, then. they yeah, see yeah. Theo and and Hugh see this like thing crawling out at the last second, and she's like, "We need to tell them," and sort of ends around that. Well, I do like the, I think it happens here, but maybe it's the next episode, but Steve, Steve uh, proposes this sort of theory, and he's been talking about this, where he says there's a sickness in our family, it's a mental illness, mm-hmm. and we see things, and, he's, and he thought he was immune to it, but now he's like realized that he's seeing things too, and he has this like theory that all of them have a shared mental illness, and I really like that detail because... It's kind of the shit that you'd come up with, right? Like if you, when when your rationality hits a wall, like sometimes you're gonna you're gonna try and find a way to explain something. And I could definitely see myself going, "Well, shit, we all got schizophrenia, <laughs> you know? Like right. We're all seeing shit." But you know, I don't know. It's just it's uh it's interesting, right? Because it blurs that line of like, at what point are you unwilling to admit reality because it doesn't jive with what you perceive to be reality? It's a fun concept, and I'm glad that they dealt with it still here. Yeah. And and it's clear whether or not they have mental illness and schizophrenia or they're seeing ghosts, they all actually do have some form of mental illness like that they're that they're having to like cope with or deal with in some ways. Yeah. All right, let's get into eight. Okay, so episode eight is witness marks. Stephen and Hugh drive around to find Luke. Stephen believes the family's issues are mental illness and explains he underwent a vasectomy to avoid spreading his family's sickness on. At the funeral parlor, Shirley and Theo have an argument over Theo and Kevin in the storage room. The family discovers that Luke is on his way to Hill House. Hugh reveals to Stephen that Stephen has been seeing ghosts all along without realizing they were ghosts, and that none of them are mentally ill. He reveals that the treehouse Stephen and Luke speak of at Hill House was never there, and that the cranes are like an unfinished meal to the house. Shirley and Theo also begin driving to Hill House to save Luke. Nell's ghost scares them and Theo breaks down, explaining that Shirley misunderstood her and Kevin. Nothing happened. The sisters reconcile 
Luke tries to burn down Hill House only to be attacked by the ghosts of Poppy Hill, William Hill's insane wife. Some of that uh, outline even underlines some of the stuff I was saying before. I do think Flanagan tends to over-explain a little bit. Um, I, I, I like it when there's still some mystery and there's still some, some unknown, some yeah. ambiguity about what is actually happening. And instead, it, it does feel like almost everything gets an explanation. Yeah, I do feel like that's a choice, right? You know, of course, like, I think... I agree with you. I would I would rather have a story that's a little more nuanced in that way. But, you know, I feel like he wanted to make audiences happy. So, yeah, but but I agree with you. I think in a perfect it's version like of every, this, every every ghost is explained. Everything's every, tied every up every in a nice bow. Is tied yeah. Up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's not a lot of that, like mystery that lingers with you and you you find yourself returning to yeah. again and again thinking let us like, just like live with that and, and yeah. like stew it over ourselves and kind of make our own draw our own conclusions and there's so much of that in the book right yeah like that's that's like the whole vibe of the book right um so that that is a big change but so in this episode one thing i wanted to talk to you about was the um it's like kind of a filmmaking thing right the car scenes um i felt like these were very classic old filmmaking style car scenes because it, I was like, they're definitely like not in a car. <laughs> like they're in a car, but they're not like on the road. It's definitely got those like screens in the background and, you know, lights to try and emulate like traffic. But every now and then you get an outer shot to like make, to, to, you know, make it feel like you're actually in a car. But I was like, I feel like I don't see that much these days anymore. Um, but I'm sure it's cheaper to do it that way. And, or maybe it's just a decision so that you can really focus on the performances and not have to worry about being in an actual car and driving and like driving around or being pulled behind another car or something. Yeah. So I've done this. I've, I've been on set for a couple of these. One of them, the more elaborate way of doing it is putting the tr the car on a trailer and right. having a truck pull. The I feel trailer. like that's normally what I see done. Yeah. So that, days. that, is expensive and you know yeah. you have to find the roads that you want and you're dealing with variables on the road obviously um like what you're talking about i've also seen it done where it's in you're in like a um sound stage and mm -hmm. you have like you said um some sort of screens or something done in order to emulate the the uh road going by some of the times you'll see it done with green screen but you can always kind of tell when it's green screen on the outside um what do you think this one was I think it was a little bit of both of the uh, trailer and the um, and maybe on a stage somewhere because like mm -hmm. you can emulate a lot of the things, but at some point you're going to have to have like street lights going like there by. There might have been some shots. Yeah, you can tell you can tell some of the time that it's like really they're actually like woods on the side of the road, something like that. But um, most of the time, what I will say is like if people are paying attention enough to realize what you're doing, you either did it incorrectly or the scene isn't that interesting. You know what I mean? Or or they're me and I'm watching for a podcast. <laughs> You're just looking for it, yeah. Uh if if it like I said, if it's in a if it's a scene Cuz I was into the scene. I thought the scenes were good, yeah. but I was also like I was paying attention to how it was being made. I was trying to at least. And that's part of the uh peeking into the matrix, right? That we do here. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> It's the same. I have the same problem with books all the time now. Exactly. It's like I'm I'm seeing the code, and sometimes it's hard to to actually appreciate the story. But I, I was able to still appreciate the performances going on. One thing I really liked was um, Stephen is driving the car for a long time, and he's telling his story. He's talking about this vasectomy. Um, I will say, I, I I personally found it a little frustrating the way that pregnancy was positioned as like. Some like something where it's like if you're if you're normal and like 
a, a healthy person um, without baggage, like you're going to have kids and <laughs> yeah. him not wanting to have kids because of his trauma was like a made, meant he was broken mm-hmm. and it's something that needed to be repaired. Well, I think it end. was I think it was less like an issue of that. It was more of an issue of him not like communicating about that. Right. Yeah. So like, it was well, like, yeah, him lying about it's definitely fucked up. But um, and it. And at the end, we seem to get some implication that maybe he he is reversed order and now he's going to have kids himself and like he's been fixed. Um, I, I just personally find that a little frustrating because it's like some people just don't want kids. Right. But I will say that's not that's not what the show is trying to say. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I'm OK with it. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the show wasn't trying to say everyone needs to have kids. It was like this particular guy has this particular reason. Right. And like, you know I mean, what it was clear standing that, in his that way. his compa- that his wife wanted to have kids and he yeah. knew that going in and just sort of like was awful about it and lied and you know yeah. didn't communicate so um yeah but i agree like i i don't like to see the, the the average movie that sort of frames it that way tends to say like normal people have kids that's the normal thing to do it's hard to like point at any one moment and say this is a problem it's it, although there are some that are like that it's more of like a general trend right like if yeah. you watch a lot of movies that's this that's the that's how message. people people are happy when they have kids and if you're yeah, not you and don't if, get and it if you, you don't, don't have, have a fulfilling kids, life and a, yeah 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 something's wrong with you you're you're not going to be happy that's not you've you've missed out on your 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 calling in life and like i just don't believe that it's propaganda all right <laughs> it's child yeah it's child rearing propaganda damn it <laughs> oh man uh happy father's day <laughs> One thing that I really liked was the way that uh, Hugh was talking about the cranes as an unfinished meal. The The most dangerous place for them to be in the entire world was back at the house. The way that that frames yeah. it with Luke, like rushing back to the house, like trying to destroy it. Um, and then ultimately, like doing what you said you didn't want to see, which is the house get burned down. He attempts to. And it. Yeah, and it I know. He's, he's attempts to, and I was like, oh, my God, are we burning down the house in episode eight? What are we going to do for the last? I thought, you know, it's funny because like some of my predictions were pretty, pretty close. Yeah. Not, not all of them, but they're pretty close. And like the, the burning down thing, I was like, oh, God, it's happening. It's happening already. That does remind me that I, I wanted to finish my thought from before. Uh, Steven's driving the car when it, all that happens. And then he uh, it switches. They get to the gas station and then the father's driving the car and the father's like, no, now you're going to listen to me. Yeah. And then he like lays down the the, the story about what happened and, and tells him that there was no tree house, which is a big reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like, wait, what the fuck is this tree house then? And he's like, you've been seeing ghosts all along. There wasn't a clockmaker. Um, all this stuff and and uh, I like that he was then driving the car too because I felt like that worked metaphorically of like he's he's in control now and mm-hmm. and and um, it's not really explained why he is all of a sudden driving but he is <laughs> he just says I'm driving yeah yeah uh, <laughs> I'm so, driving down so we got to talk about Shirley and Theo in this episode too because they're kind of the other half to the episode yeah um, I thought your favorite part was going to be the punch to the boob <laughs> yeah I guess yeah it was a funny part that was a funny it was a moment. sisterly thing right like it felt very familial like I, fighting. I was like th- I, I wondered if that was an accident. You know, I was like, did this accidentally happen on, in the scene? And then they're like, we're going to we're going to roll with that because it was so funny. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not I sure. I don't know. Very, uh, very funny, though. Uh, them coming back together and then and then sort of talking through Shirley's like denial of everything. She just doesn't want to believe the things that she knows. She knows that Theo has abilities. She knows that, um, you know, Kevin actually loves her and like she she kind of wants to think something more happened between theo and kevin 
um, and when it's all out on the table and explained. And then ultimately, in a similar way to Nell's body, the the casket falling, uh, Olivia's like screaming in their face, like sort of pulls them back together uh, when the emotion when the emotional peak happens in the scene where they're driving. Uh, and then Theo gets out and cries and, and, and uh, Shirley's there and she's like, clearly we're both seeing a ghost at the same time. Yeah, I, I think you're underselling that moment. That is a meme worthy. That is a internet reaction waiting to happen. What's that? That that, that jump scare. Yeah. That is that's like one of the cr- like most insane jump scares I, I think I've ever seen. It, <laughs> Did you it, jump I out fe- of your seat? I, I felt it in my toes. <laughs> I like I, my whole body went rigid. Like it got me big time. It's great. Yeah. Um, and it's like if you're gonna do a jump scare, I guess you fucking do it like yeah. that. I guess to call back to the jump scare thing from last episode, I'll give. I literally uh, wrote Jesus Christ in all caps <laughs> in my notes when it happened. <laughs> I'll give Flanagan the benefit of the doubt too. Is that we said, you know, there weren't a, there were a ton of jump scares in the first half. They're not quite as many in the no, second half. I think he slows down. He lets yeah. it build to this one. <laughs> yeah. It fucking gets me, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to like, I bet there's like compilation videos of people losing their shit during that online. I'm going to have to go look up because that, what a jump scare, man. It was an that was, intense that was one. wild. Did it get you at all the second time or did you know it was coming? Too I think much? I knew it was coming too much. Yeah. I, um, I'm sure I jumped, but it wasn't like the, what the reaction was probably the first time. I mean, like, I'm not someone who reacts much to stuff like that. Yeah. And like, I know there are people who do. You know what I mean? Right. Like I can see people throwing things at their TVs. Like I, I can just imagine wildness happening. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I will say, like in the first half, I remember I was watching it with my girlfriend, and she, she, like we've seen it before, and there was one scene that happened. I can't remember what it is right now, which is super unfortunate for a podcast, but uh, it was the same situation. Like completely jumped out of her seat, and I was like, "You didn't remember that was going to happen?" And she's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some jumps early on, but nothing to me, nothing came close to the, this moment. Yeah. It's a big one. Like just right in between their faces while they're having this like super emotional like back and forth as sisters and then just <laughs> fucking scream. Oh God, it got me. Um, but yeah, then he lights the fire and immediately the flames spread and then go out and then he gets grabbed from behind. Um, the other thing is like he poured that fucking gasoline all over himself. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if the intention was to burn himself yeah. or just be really sloppy in the way he was doing it. But um the ghost saved his life in that moment because he was about to burn the fuck out of himself. <laughs> yeah, I continue. Uh, like, I think Luke is one of my favorite characters to follow. Um, yeah, just because he's got such an interesting story. And, uh, you know, nearing this in this in this next episode, some crazy stuff goes down. And I want to know if you were if you were hook, line and sinker on this one. So let me read the let me read the synopsis and we'll get to that. Episode nine is Screaming Mimi's. In the past, Olivia begins having disturbing paranormal experiences in the house. She sees a vision of the corpses of adult Nell and Luke and encounters the ghost of Poppy Hill, who tells her the world outside will devour her children and she needs to keep them safe. Disoriented and scared, Olivia and Hugh decide she should take a break and travel to her sister Janet's house. However, Olivia, now unstable and influenced by the house, never goes and the family's last night at the mansion starts to unfold. A delusional Olivia takes Nell, Luke, and Abigail, who is sleeping over, for a tea party in the Red Room, which is now open. Hugh realizes Olivia has poisoned the tea with rat poison to kill the kids, believing this is the only way to keep them safe from the world. He saves Luke and Nell, but it's too late to save Abigail. Terrified, he hurriedly gets the kids out of the house while Olivia, wanting to wake up from her horrible dream, jumps off the top of the spiral staircase. The thing that I was mentioning that I wanted to ask if you were thought was actually going to happen is the little girl mm-hmm. drinking rat poison. 
uh, when it what was happening, her? did you think that she was actually going to die there? Or did you think something was going to be done? To well, save I wasn't her? sure if she was a ghost or if she was real at that point because I, I didn't. I, I think I did write down like, is this the Dudley's daughter? Because um, Mrs. Dudley mentions having a daughter. I think before this or during this episode. Um, so I'm like, maybe that's who this Abigail girl is. It is a weird um, reveal though, right? Like when, so yeah. like this whole time we've been hearing Luke talk about his f- imaginary friend, everyone saying Abigail, yeah. and then we get, she's actually there for the first time like yeah. in the house and spent the night and everybody said she could spend the night. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but, um, this episode is mostly good. I, I, I did have, I, I still don't know how I feel about, uh, oh, Mrs. Uh, screaming Mimi here. Yeah. Um, some of her like again it's like it's maybe a little bit too much like it's um it's a very long scene of her sort of monologuing <laughs> yeah with uh with the with the mother and it's i i like where it goes uh, these moments uh and then like her beginning to have her sort of disassociation and i love like finding out why she was um or, or like what what dream she was having in all these moments where she like said, oh, I was having such a terrible dream. And like I liked seeing what was actually leading up to that and the moment where she's in the bedroom talking to the to the twins. I think that's in this episode where that gets revealed, like what she was actually doing. And we're building thematically this this idea that she wants to keep her children safe in Hill House away from the world when the world is what's going to hurt them because she's seen a vision of the future where she sees them as adults uh, dead. She sees the twins dead. Um, And that is thematically tied to the book in the way that Eleanor in the book is feels home. She feels like she's come home ultimately at the end, even though that is a lie. Um, But it's like this tragedy of her um, surrendering to the house. And in that way, the mother, Olivia, also feels very close to Eleanor. I was thinking how it seems like much of Eleanor was given to Olivia. Um, some of it was given to Shirley as well. It was like Eleanor was almost split into three characters, I think, for the show. Yeah, Nell. Maybe even four. Nell as well, even, yeah. You know, yeah. Like everybody gets a little piece of her. But I would say Nell, obviously, uh, Shirley and, and Olivia the, are the strongest. All three feel like they're pieces of Eleanor from the book. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated getting Olivia's like point of view through the story and getting to see through her eyes. And then us realizing that this entire time that we've been seeing her when she's creating this blueprint, like all of these times that it's being revealed that she's not able to keep it together as much as we think she is. And uh, it's further that reveal of the, of the dream home being repeated over and over and over again. That was very cool. Very good. Um, And like the, how, how Hugh must feel in that moment too. Cause you don't want to freak her out and you want, but you want to be able to like talk to her and say like, come on, let's, let's get you out of the house for a little while and how stressful and how tough that is going to be for him dealing with all the stuff that's going on. But like, she's like, she, she's like had been holding a, a screwdriver to his throat at one point too. Like it was getting, yeah. it was getting really bad. Yeah. If you wake up and your wife is like, got a screwdriver pressed into your throat, you're you should be worried. Yeah. It's probably the <laughs> house that you're living in, honestly. Uh, it's probably the house. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, there, there's lots of good stuff here. I, I like Nell having to cut the stitch out of her own mouth so that she could talk when she was in the, you know, like there's a lot of these like dark moments that work really well. Um, I did think there was a, and tell me if you, if you think I'm right. Um, there was a couple of the, the, the ghosts in the background um, moments that 
were so obvious here that I felt like were keying us in. And, and I almost felt like Flanagan was telling the viewer, like, hey, you might have missed some of these. Like, I, like within the text of the of the show itself, I know it's not text, but like it was kind of like an because like there's one point in particular in the kitchen where like we just saw the clockmaker, which we know is a ghost now because they told us. And then she walks into the kitchen and there's this like face in the in the glass looking down at the children while they're talking. And it shows it's in several different lo- views. It's very present there. And I'm like, OK, I don't know how you missed that one, but it is still kind of in the background. Like they're not looking at it. And that was me. That was when I thought, like, maybe this is Flanagan trying to say, hey, there's some of this stuff going on in the background. And maybe that's why, like, people might think, like, oh, I'm going to actually going to go back and look for these things. Yeah, Um, because it wasn't it wasn't very subtle, but it was subtle enough to where I felt like it was a it was like lampshading. Like, hey, there are some of this. There are things hidden in the background. Right. To say, like, there's more than if you're seeing these ones, there's clearly more that you haven't seen. You wonder what you've missed in the past when that moment happens. Yeah. So I liked that. And we actually got to see like the little boy in the wheelchair. Um the the one i love the moment where the i forget her name but the the bedridden woman is like she lies that one lies when she's talking about poppy uh, yeah that's a great moment for olivia to realize like and it's so interesting the way that the, the house is kind of like you know it's fed off these people but these people still have agency it seems like to the point that mm. like they're sort of up against each other in here and then we sort of see more agency as we get to the nearing the end with um abigail and how she shows but like her they're they're over her dead body and then we see her as a spirit and the same thing happens for hugh he sees down at the bottom of the staircase he sees olivia and then he sees her spirit or whatever standing over top of her body and yeah there's also uh i wrote down chekhov's uh rat poison <laughs> um very he kept getting zoomed in on a lot when he bought it you're like something bad's happening with this rat poison and um i love that it, it, it's actually a nice uh, subversion of that expectation and that it gets used more than once um it is used for the tea party um and then once again later it's what luke shoots into his arm yeah um shooting poison into his arm which is something that got said earlier mm-hmm. um so I, I i like that it was used both times the black mold in the red room um really interesting touch right like it's just it's just a simple room with like a carpet on the ground and this is a black mold on all the walls which reminds me of resident evil 7 if anyone played that <laughs> game um i was having flashbacks to that game but it's um, also like you know we've we've gotten the reveal of the red room at this point where everything yeah. that everyone's seen like the dance room the the you know the tree house all of these different rooms all along was this and it made me think of the room of requirement from i think that might be in the next episode but that's fine Uh, yeah that reveal that reveal does come and it's very it's very interesting right that that the red room they've each been in the red room at different moments Mm -hmm. um which i i didn't honestly i didn't realize like when when they said like that the treehouse didn't exist i was just like well what the fuck was the treehouse i i I didn't realize it was the red room yeah it doesn't make a ton Um, of sense because in order to go to a treehouse normally you have to be outside of the house but yeah but i mean like obviously everybody was kind of like in a in a a fugue state while they're walking around in this house so they like dreamt that they were outside or they dreamt that they were and you know wherever and i i did actually that that, that's the kind of stuff that ambiguity is good and i I could have dealt with a little more of that honestly um i I really like that stuff um so the tea party i do was just want to touch on it one more time is super fucked up and scary uh i can only imagine if i was younger like seeing this and thinking of like a parent taking you know you and your friends into a room and having a little fun tea party and then finding out that all along she had wanted to kill you and yeah her wanting her kids to wake up reminded me a little bit of an inception right yeah 
Like, we've got to wake up. <laughs> this is all a dream. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. It, it was a similar kind of vibe. And like, yeah, if you if someone ever tells you that you need to wake up and start drink this tea I've made you, we need to wake up, like, be worried. <laughs> right. All right. So we've started talking about it a little, little bit, but episode 10 is called Silence Lay Steadily. Stephen and Hugh find Luke unconscious in the Red Room. Stephen, Theo, and Shirley all become locked inside with Luke and all experience revelatory nightmares about their lives as the house tries to kill them. All the siblings are saved by Nell's ghost. They awaken to find Luke dying. Nell's ghost explains that the Red Room is the stomach of the house and can disguise itself as different rooms to each person to calm them while it digests them. It disguises itself as the treehouse for Luke, the gaming room for Steven, and so on. The siblings apologize for not saving Nell, and she assures them that they all loved each other. Olivia's ghost keeps the siblings trapped, not wanting them to leave. Hugh convinces her to open the door, telling her he will make her a promise. She frees them, and the aftermath of her death is revealed, including the fact that the Dudleys were Abigail's parents. Hugh commits suicide to be with Olivia, and says goodbye to Stephen, entering the Red Room with Olivia and Nell. Two years later, the siblings, their bonds reconciled, celebrate Luke's sobriety together with their partners. This episode is really interesting. It is also, I, I, I think, a divisive one for people. Um, endings are tough. Tough to stick the landing Endings are tough. Um, you have to make a decision for what kind of story you want to tell. Mm-hmm. And Mike Flanagan decided he wanted to tell a different kind of story than what the Haunting of Hill House. For, the book for is. some of the characters. I would say for all of the characters. Yeah. You think that it's like more of a positive spin for the people who are together now in the house? I think it's positive overall. I, he changes the final line to say whatever walks in Hill House walks together, mm-hmm. which I don't like at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it takes away a lot I, of the fear of because like a, lo- a lot of this story, the fear of it is like being alone without anywhere yeah. to turn. You're dying alone without anybody to help you. So the idea of being like in death, you have others with you. It's more peaceful. Yeah. They are reunited in death in Hill House. Um, Hill House, when it shows its lights at the end, it's kind of like a warm yellow that glows instead of that red we had seen before. Um, And in some ways it felt like this is almost worse than burning down Hill House. (laughs) It was like like... the it was like the soul of Hill House had been healed and it was now like a, a happy place for these people to be. Now, I'm not saying it necessarily is happy, but like it lost its stinger, kind of like it doesn't. Yeah, it no longer f- is dangerous. Yeah. I mean, the Dudleys were happy when they were standing there together. Right. You know, the, at, the, at the at the very end when he when he perceived it, they that found way. like a cheat cheat code in order to, to stay together instead of yeah. having to go through the death isolation of death. Yeah, it's a decision, you know, and and um, I I can't really fault him for it. I just I don't know that I would have gone that route. It it just um it it is an inversion of what the book ultimately is. The, mm-hmm. the book leaves you with a with a with a emptiness, with a with a dread and a and a sense of inescapable horror that Eleanor, the thing she feared most was being alone and she is now trapped in this house alone. And she has to walk alone. That's why that line resonates so strongly is it's her worst fear came true. This feels like a follow up where you're trying to rescue Eleanor. It's like I read this book and I was so stricken with her fate that I wanted to rescue her. So when I did my adaptation, I I sort of freed Eleanor in in a way and I reunited her with her family. Yeah, she's still in the house, but she's with her father and mother and they're happy together now everybody's been been sort of spiritually healed 
the rest of the family all escapes. They seem to be on a better path in life. Um, so it, it does, it is a very happy ending mm-hmm. for this show. Um, and does that work better for a 10 episode Netflix series? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I can see a pressure to do that, but I, it also feels like that was the story Flanagan wanted to tell. I think that Steve, I think Mike Flanagan empathized with Steve a lot and felt a lot like Steve because Steve is also writing this story throughout. And and I kept thinking how, like, is this kind of an insert character for Flanagan in, in his adaptation process? Um, and it was like, it, it felt very much like a, like a, like a person who's working through their own demons and finding a way through and and um ultimately this this the story is about people besting their demons and not succumbing to them this this version of the story Shirley Jackson's novel is about someone who succumbs to her demons ultimately so it is it is a very big difference how, how, how what did you think of it with, with what you're trying to accomplish when a show goes to Netflix you, this this is probably the the safer and better choice because People are left with endings, especially with shows. They they're left with endings, and I think, of course, it would be more controversial and potentially better if you if you go the route of, you know, having it be really dour and like morbid and and like isolating at the end. But people I walk think- away with from a happy ending like this, having gone through all this traumatic stuff, and they want to see the characters. I think have a happy ending, um, in a, in a ten hour Netflix story like this, like you said, but. I agree that like it's sort of a more interesting story if you tell it with the intent of being something that's different that people haven't seen before and kill characters and you know leave them in doubt and with ambiguity. I think there is a way you could go that has a more pyrrhic victory feel to it. Um, I think you can still save all the kids who escape, but you imply that instead of being happy together, uh, the father is in hell and that he and Eleanor and Olivia are not happy. They are trapped in a hell of Hill house. And maybe you throw the Dudleys in there too. And then you can, you can have both in you can have the happiness for those who escaped and the hell for those who didn't. Um, But he chose not to go that route. And instead it's, it's sort of happy everywhere. Um, And I, I just don't know that I, I like that ending for this, this adaptation, but I, I can't, I can't really fault him. It's like that at this point, that's the story he wanted to tell. And I do think it's a good one. I, I just, I think that's going to be a taste thing, a personal taste thing, like whether or not people like that change. Um, and how do you like your horror stories to end? You know, like how do you, how do you like to feel? I, if everything is very happy for, for me at the end of most horror stories, I, I tend to be kind of disappointed. Like I, something about it feels a little off. Um, and here it was very happy. At least that's my read of it. But I, I will say overall the episode was good. This was the big reveal about the the house about the 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 red room and what it represented. Um it, it does it does get a little bit magic, like dark magic to me. And um we had characters walking around and touching each other on the head. 
and like waking each other tra- up. it'd wake yeah. you up or well, put you to sleep no, no and... really saving all of the characters was was that in that in the end you you thought it might have been theo but it was Nell well all along and screaming mimi she was going around touching people and like knocking them unconscious too so like it, it, it was like there were like rules for how this magic works how about the time that uh i believe like olivia grabs on to hugh and he like melts like his whole body like melts but it's really just him going into like the same kind of fugue state out, outside of the red room he just starts are like, you talking about when he gets like all moldy yeah yeah pretty, yeah that's pretty dark pretty dark yeah i mean i liked it and and um I, there was a lot to like in this episode and i kept thinking like okay they're gonna land it they're gonna land it and really it's just the end was a little bit too happy for my taste mm-hmm. but you know teach their own some people probably yeah. really like it i mean i think that um, that sets us up perfectly for the thing that we have to do at the end of these episodes so if do you have anything else you want to touch on uh i just want to say i was noticing a there was a thematic consistency to the red there was the red room the red door the red underwear on theo's girlfriend the the the, the red, red lights you mentioned the red lights of the of the uh, Hill House at one point. Yeah, the the red heroin. I think the little ball of heroin she holds out, mm-hmm. uh, Joey holds out is red. And, and I'm sure there were others. I didn't catch all of them, but it seems like that was, it reminded me a little bit like uh, The Sixth Sense. Like a little bit of red being an important color and, and tying it to something, um, you know, maybe a moment of, of temptation or something that you have to resist. Um, they really leaned into the journey's end at Lover's Meeting quote, which is from the book. Um and it seems like that's where they they sort of got the inspiration for the lovers come together at the end and it's sort of happy. That was a false happiness that Eleanor was chasing and that the the allure and promise of meeting a lover's meeting is kind of the the thing that trapped her. Um, so it's interesting to invert it a little bit and make it kind of true. Um I don't know. It's okay. There, I will I will say I thought for a moment we were, I was about to be really mad. Started the episode uh we we it opens with steven writing the story yeah. and it's like oh yeah we're writing the story and i'm like wait a minute are we gonna like have all of this just be the second like the the sequel to the book he's <laughs> writing and like and they they faint that way like they're going that way but then we, we realize he actually is still in the house and this is all like his his hallucination he's having and i was like okay okay I, you're forgiven because I, I was about to get mad i was like getting i was like sharpening the pitchfork you know <laughs> um but yeah he didn't go that route yeah. ultimately i think he knows that that would have been i bad. think he was playing with you on purpose you know there's a reason he opened it that way because that's like something that someone may have predicted you know the idea yeah, yeah. of it all having this is all been... just a book yeah exactly. i bet you there was there were people on reddit who thought that that was going to be the way it was going to ultimately end <laughs> <laughs> ultimately yeah i uh i did enjoy the show i i do have some problems with episode 10 um and and you know i i the whenever there was like in, in it's funny how this uh i don't want to spoil dr sleep but there are some moments visually that are very similar that happen in the house and what happens in Dr. Sleep. And I, and both of them, I don't like when it comes to like bunch of like people standing around and makeup to look kind of like ghosts. And they're just standing around in a scene. Like, I, I just don't like that look. Um, and, and it, to me, it didn't work super well here either. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's taste things. Um, it's just, you know, depends on the person. So I, I stand by a little bit of what I said last week, but overall, I think I was too harsh and I, I, I wasn't, I didn't know I was about to get episode six, which kind of blew my socks off. And, um, and then really, really all the episodes, but the, but the final one were very, very good. Um, and then even the final one was good. It just, uh, personal taste wise, I, I don't know how I feel about it. So where 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 are you at like honestly other than just appraising like oh it could go either way personally how do you feel about the ending 
Oh, I mean, like, like I, I tend to agree with you. Like, I think it was the safer thing to do, the more predictable thing to do. I think it was, like, in fitting with the story, with so much trauma for these characters to go through. Eleanor dies, like, so early on. That's such a, like, such a thing for the audience to live with throughout the whole series. And I think this story was, like, begging for audiences to get, like, a relief at the end. And I think that that's what it was, was, like, a breath of, like, a relief after all of this stuff went on. Luke's dealing with addiction. It's really heavy stuff. There's, like, Leo's dealing with, like, all kinds of stuff with like having yeah. to catch pedophiles and stuff and like just all the there's a lot of trauma oh yeah in she this. leaves her gloves in the garbage at the yeah. end like she the, metaphorically removing the walls between her and right the world, I, I and guess. i wonder if that means that she's just going to be using her powers all the time or if it means like is she like done with her powers it's like okay i, I get the metaphor but are you just going to be opening yourself up to like a lot of shit now yeah. maybe Maybe. So ultimately, I really enjoy it. And something I was going to say is like, if if as a horror fan, if if more horror shows had this sort of a detail and like attention to them, I think we would be better off. I think this is this is a I great agree. horror show. I'm happy yeah, that it exists I, in its I wanna, form. I want to see more just straight up horror shows. I know that I was saying this has some dark fantasy and stuff going on. It has a little bit of sci-fi too, and time travel, and like that's all fine. Yeah. You know, like I think there's a movie called Triangle that is like not great but has some really interesting ideas and it blends a little bit of that time travel horror stuff um cool i don't know you ever saw that movie no i haven't seen that yeah people who have seen it know what i'm talking about like there's a little bit of that going on in this like it's cool man i'm glad this show exists and and i agree i think we should get more like prestige horror pieces you know like i love a stranger things which is more schlocky and and fun but while still being serious but yeah i want want more prestige horror dramas i'm into it yeah definitely so that leads us to the question right so yeah we have to ask ourselves of this within this project um is the book or the show better yeah the book or the show um i went into this episode thinking slam dunk shirley jackson hands down not even close um but man uh mike flanagan made a run for it he i I can see what why there's hype for this guy um i i felt like i hadn't quite understood it yet but um i think this second half of this series shows me why there is you know people have affection for him and they they see a lot of potential they see a lot of you know not just potential like he's done some greatness um and i can see why people love it and um i you know i'm 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 more of a fan now than i think i ever was before uh but still all that being said there's just enough with my personal tastes that don't align with what he chose to do. I can respect it and still say, I think Shirley Jackson's novel is the superior version of this story. Ultimately. Yeah. So I had high expectations going into the novel, right? It's because I'd seen the show and I was excited yeah. to get into the novel and then the novel blew me away. And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. this is, and then through our conversation too, it just like heightened how much I loved that, that story and while it is sort of a simple story, it's the or it's almost the origin of a lot of this stuff, of a lot of this haunted yeah, house. One stuff. of the, one of the best haunted house stories of all time, right. like and, widely. Regarded. And like we've talked about through this episode, the way that it like has so much more in it. There's so much depth to it. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot of different like uh, just seeing like character pieces and seeing like how she played with these archetypal characters that are kind of of that time uh, and did something different. Uh, and the house really is an entity into itself. And then this one, maybe a little in the, in the series, maybe a little less. So it seemed like the, th- the inhabitants of the house were more the threat rather than the house itself. Um, but and, and for all those reasons, I'm going to take the book. Yeah, I agree with that. For all those reasons, I'm taking the book as well. 
Um, but like everything you said, I love this show. I'm glad that it exists. Mike Flanagan, I think, created something that obviously they made Bly Manor after this. He created something that that um, a lot of people re- responded to. And I'm happy to think like with with like a platform like Netflix that everybody has around Halloween when this dropped, that like tons of people were introduced to a new kind of horror or that's just like a great horror story. And like maybe mm-hmm. they we're able to, you know, from there go explore other horror stories. So just overall great stuff. I'm taking the and book. He got he got he got great performances out of these actors too. You and know, the child actors lot, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of good stuff there. You know, Genuinely, very impressed. Yeah. But uh, it sounds like we are both book on this one. Uh, you know, all hail Shirley Jackson. All hail. The great. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we will announce our very next project at the end of the episode, so stick around for that. But uh, in the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever podcatcher you used. If you are on YouTube, uh, throw us a like, uh, maybe a comment, and let us know that you enjoyed it. Um, we, we do try to respond to those when, you know, when, when they're... Uh, when they're good <laughs> <laughs> yeah also if you wanted to uh if you wanted to support this podcast we have a patreon patreon.com forward slash ink to film and we have all kinds of tiers on there but our two dollar tier gets you our bonus content monthly uh we have like 30 something episodes at this point and typically we like do 36 i think 36 we do adaptation oh adjacent God. things normally something similar to what we've covered before but recently we've done more video content uh we did uh scott pilgrim versus the world the video game we we streamed mm-hmm. some of that and then we uh released sort of a, a talk about it after we yeah a review a review basically after because we had you know already tackled both of those pro- the uh forms of that story uh and then we also did a tier ranking list recently so a lot of fun stuff going on over there please support us if you like this yeah absolutely and uh oh shout out to colton b for being a patreon uh supporter for a long time now uh your continued support definitely helps us keep this thing going make sure to connect with us on social media we are on twitter instagram and facebook all of those at ink to film and we also have a group on goodreads where we post uh discussion threads for every book we cover and thank you to yivik abishek for his track Broken Piano, which serves as our intro and outro music for this episode. Okay, so here we are at the end of the episode. Um, We are actually going to be taking two weeks off. I'm going to be releasing some From the Vault content, which you will be seeing. Former Patreon episodes. Yeah, so you're getting a taste for like the kind of stuff that we do release on Patreon. They're like back from 2019 at this point. So, you know, they're, you know if you want to get it fresher, <laughs> go to Patreon. But you'll get a taste for it. Um, but that's because, uh, James, you're going to be working on a, on a feature film. So yeah. you're going to be busy. I'm going to be very busy, yeah. So thank you guys for your understanding. And uh, yeah. we will be back in two weeks with our new content, which is going to be covering... Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. Yeah, which I'm so pumped for. One of my favorite authors. Vonnegut is just it's such a gem. I'm so excited to sh- like get to share that author with you. That's what it feels like and get yeah. to share it with our listeners. I'm excited. And, um, you know, I will say if you if at all possible, read a physical copy of the book. Um, there are illustrations, which I think are, you know, paramount to the experience. Um, you want to appreciate. So I'm sure the audiobook's fine, but I would definitely recommend having a physical copy. Um, speaking of, I actually added a hardcover and a, and a paperback version to our bookshop. If you wanted to support the podcast and get your copy on there, you'll have plenty of time for it to arrive uh, by the time we're covering it. Uh, that would be awesome. But yeah, Slaughterhouse-Five. Um, many people read it in school. I, I think that's when I first read it. Maybe you didn't, but if you didn't, check it out. Great book. And then there's like a 70s adaptation that I actually hear good things about. So we're going to dive into that. I know nothing about it. So yeah. yeah, super excited. I'm looking forward to it too. And until next time, keep adapting. Keep adapting.